Welcome to the Fertility Podcast, episode 164. I'm Natalie Silverman, your host. I just had a massive technical glitch having recorded this intro, so this should be a really polished chat with you. I'm talking to you mid-December, having had a weekend of buying my first ever Christmas tree and putting it up, and this was very exciting for me. Having grown up in a Jewish household, we always had Hanukkah, never had Christmas trees, kind of had the odd what we called a Hanukkah bush, which was a bit of a rubbish-looking plant that we hung some chocolates on. But uh, having just moved, as you might have heard me mention, I decided, along with my other half, that um, we were going to buy a lovely little tree in a pot so that we can put it in the garden and have it again next year. I didn't like the idea of having a tree I just throw away, nor having a fake one as my first Christmas tree. I mean, it might change over the years, but that smell of a Christmas tree. So um, I dragged my little boy around over the weekend because my hubby was working and I got the tree. I I hauled it to the car. I stopped traffic as I was trying to get it in the car because I had a boot full of shopping. It was very comical, slightly Mr. Bean-esque, I have to confess. Bought some decorations. And as I was doing the tree, uh, my parents turned up and I hadn't told them I was doing this. Funnily enough, I was like, ooh, will they be annoyed? I'm, I'm still about 17, you know, sometimes when I think about my parents. And they loved it. They were so delighted to have come at that point where I was hanging the little decorations up and told me that the only reason they we never really had one, because of course Christmas tree is pagan and we have a massive Christmas day in our family. So it's not like we don't celebrate Christmas. We do. Um, I mean, I've had my little one's nativity, which is something I've never kind of had. I wasn't really in it at at school because I kind of stood outside being Jewish when all the carol service and stuff was going on. I didn't go to Jewish school, but I was brought up Jewish. um, But we had a real kind of interfaith upbringing. So we celebrate Christmas as well as Hanukkah. And I've always felt that pang when everyone's sharing pictures of their trees and talking about getting a tree because I've never been able to join in. I'd always be the first to offer, you know, in a workplace. But now I have one. And my folks told me that the reason that we never had a tree was that my late papa, Papa Wolfie, God rest his soul, kicked off once when my, my parents as a married couple had a tree and they never dared get that wrath again. So they very much enjoyed mine. And I'm very proud. You might have heard me talk about my house plants. That's a new addition to our new house. Um, so I now have two big plants, two big bushy trees in my house. And the energy is wonderful. I'm just a complete hippie in that sense. I digress. If this is your first listen to the Fertility Podcast, I'm not always on one like this. Um, but I am feeling quite excited this year heading into the Christmas season. But I know that probably isn't the case for you especially if you found this podcast because you've just discovered you need to have treatment if you're a regular listener and you are at a phase of maybe having failed treatments or you've just suffered a loss then I hope you can find within my content some support and friendship through these next few weeks I have spoken before about how to deal with this time of year and I'll put those links on the show notes we were told just before Christmas in 2014 that we needed treatment. We were told by a really unsympathetic consultant who I've spoken about before, but it ruined our Christmas. And we were both in shock. My husband and I, we were amongst loads of family and we kept having to kind of go off and and just take stock. But we, we made a little toast on New Year's Eve to each other that, you know, good intentions for the new year. We were going to get ourselves as, as ready as we could and, and we were going to head into this treatment that we were potentially going to have with ourselves being in the best place possible and hopefully have success which we did I'm like 
delighted to say we did. We were so fortunate it worked first time. But I know that's so often not the case. And I know that our experiences vary so much. I mean, we had NHS funded treatments, which if you're in the UK, it sounds few and far between, sadly, due to the funding cuts that are going on. If you're in a country where it's part of your healthcare, then the, the financial stress might be a bit more manageable. But if you are having to pay wherever you are at, it is a huge, huge burden. It's stressful. And what I'm giving you in this episode is a conversation that I've had with a fertility clinic who are brand new and are approaching their care for you in a really refreshing way that I hope sets a precedent for fertility clinics because all too often I hear about people who pay top dollar to go to the best clinic yet they still feel like a number. They've expected amazing treatment and service ultimately you're paying for a product you're paying for a service aren't you they're not getting it and that really bloody annoys me so when I heard about this clinic and their approach to treatment I was keen to just showcase it a bit this is quite a short episode but I wanted to give you a taster of what could be on offer because if you are choosing where you're going for treatment which is not something that I had experience of doing we were told that this particular clinic was where we were eligible for and that's where we went and had our treatment if you are picking because you are self-funding I want you to know that there are people out there who have your best interests at heart when it comes to the emotional support and the care that you get along the way of that fertility journey every step of the way there should be checking points especially during that two-week wait which all too often I know you're left on your own and it's down to you to call up and ask questions. Nobody's calling you to see how you're doing. And actually, the two-week wait was the topic of conversation in BBC Radio 4's Women's Hour today, which I will put the link in the show notes for this episode as well, so you can have a listen to uh, Geeta Nargund, who is the founder of Create. Also, Katie Lindemann, a previous guest of mine who created the Uber Barons Club, and Izzy Judd, who has a uh, new podcast out called Let's Talk Fertility, all talking about their experiences. And especially if treatment fails, I know all too often that you're left completely alone, made to feel abandoned when you've invested your time and your money into this, what, as I said before, is actually a service that you've paid for. The customer service then is is shocking. My guest today talks about what he set up. He's an embryologist, which I was quite fascinated to know more about his decision to become a, a clinic owner. If you've just started finding out more about the fertility world and you don't yet know enough about embryology and embryologists and what they do as part of the IVF process then again I will share some episodes with some other embryologists that I spoke to and you'll hear my guest he's called Alpesh Doshi explain his role and why he is doing what he's doing. I went to meet him in person so it sounds a bit different because we were sat in his quite spacious sparse office because it's brand new so it sounds a little bit echoey and I hope that you get an insight on what you could expect from the treatment that you're heading into and I'd love to know your thoughts on whether this is something that you've experienced where you are because I know you listen all around the world to my podcast you can tell me on insta or twitter at fertility poddy the fertility podcast is my facebook page I have a closed facebook group 
which is Talk Fertility, where I've got some of my previous experts as admins. They can help answer your questions as well as me and the lovely people that have joined the group helping each other. And you can always email me, natalie at thefertilitypodcast.com with a story that you want to share with something that you haven't yet heard me do on this podcast it's always amazing to hear you and hear your feedback as are what you think of the podcast in review form so if you have the chance to write and review what you've heard in the podcast app that you use that's amazing so on with the show before you hear from Alpesh though here's a quick note from my sponsor if you're looking for a supplement to take whilst trying to conceive Pregnacare Conception and Wellman Conception provide advanced nutritional support. They include zinc, vitamin D and the exact levels of folic acid recommended for women by the UK Department of Health. Pregnacare is expert nutritional care while trying for a baby. And to find out more, visit thefertilitypodcast.com forward slash shop. My name is Alpesh Doshi and I'm a consultant embryologist and a director of IVF London, a newly opened IVF centre in northwest London and Hertfordshire region. And uh, yeah, I'm passionate about embryology and uh, I'm going to be talking more about the embryology elements today. And I was keen to hear your motivation, Alpeshi, as an embryologist to set up a clinic because it's pretty unusual. We know of embryologists of being the the masters like the magicians in in the labs doing all the incredible work often the unsung heroes i mean in the 40 years of ivf when we hear about jean purdy when the, a name who when we hear about Stepton edwards um, i only learned about jean purdy you know this year and the amazing work she did so the decision as an embryologist to to take that step into creating a a, a clinic yourself how did that come about so it's a very good question. The motivation to firstly develop a clinic stemmed from the confidence that I am good at what I do, which is clinical embryology. And we all know that, as you rightly said, that embryologists are generally the unsung heroes behind the scenes. And But there is more of an awareness now from a patient perspective as to where success rates are stemming from. And it's no secret that a lot, you know, if, if you do have a good laboratory with good embryology practices, that's where the results actually come from. So um, in order for a clinic to be successful, it's very important that they have a good laboratory and a good embryologist that's leading it. I've had phenomenal experience at leading a very high-end fertility clinic in, in my journey as an embryologist. And I always had a very... Um, I had a great inclination to one day being able to open my own clinic whereby I combine various aspects of clinical and scientific excellence in what we do today, but most importantly try and um, do something whereby it's really benefiting the couple not only in their ability or their chances to conceive, but most importantly giving them a very good journey through IVF or at least a very informative journey through IVF. So the ethos with which I started this journey was, yes, I want to do something. If I don't do it now, I'll never be able to do it. And hence last year, we, we started embarking on this journey and really wanted to make a difference in terms of the way IVF is currently offered in today's world. So I'm very keen in the work that I do with the, the podcast in highlighting the importance of that kind of mind-body connection, the importance of well-being. We hear a lot 
about the emotional strain going through treatment. And I know it's something that you've put at the forefront of how you're working to make that experience. Being a smaller clinic and being a, a new clinic, you also want to help educate people in how best they can achieve a pregnancy ultimately don't you absolutely um, so one of the most important things that sits very close to my heart is as I have mentioned the journey of the patient we believe at IVF London that the result is a byproduct of the whole process and of course you've got to be good at what you do whether that's from a clinical front or the scientific front but the most important thing that we forget as clinicians working in IVF is that by the time the patient has reached out to you there's already a lot of stress that has built up for them to even come to your doorstep seeking fertility treatment so it's very important to address this before they start now in terms of the mind body spirit and the well-being of the patient i'm very passionate about this because i have really learned from my experience dealing with fertility patients for over the last 20 years and engaging with them that one of the most important thing they feel very vulnerable at is the support especially the support from a clinic who's holding their hand through the journey of ivf and this is one area that i really want us to strengthen not just as an individual clinic, but as a fraternity, as a community who offers IVF to see the patient as a human being, someone who is actually dealing with emotions, how we can help them, how we can support them better through the journey. And this is the focus of our clinic, that before the patient starts the journey, we want them to be very much in control of all the knowledge and education surrounding the cycle, what's going to be happening at every stage, being able to phone them quite regularly after every appointment to see, to say that, can we do anything? Is there anything you need further information on? I feel that the moment the patient understands the journey very well and feels empowered enough from the education perspective, and obviously the emotional support perspective, they are much more well prepared to handle the stresses of fertility treatment. And let's face it, it is a stress. You know, it is an invasion on a couple's life to try and have fertility treatment. And we are here, or we should all be here, to try and make this journey as comfortable as possible for the couple and as stress-free as possible. Now, we're talking in the UK where we have this postcode lottery issue. We're talking in an area in the UK where there isn't any NHS funding available for this kind of treatment. So we're talking about a paid-for service that people are ultimately coming for. And we know that patients are more likely to have to pay, sadly, due to that decrease in, in funding on the NHS. And therefore, patients should be able to get the best value for their money, ultimately. And I know that's one of the things that you want to highlight and, and but I'm keen to just talk about that kind of support and that importance for people to know that they can expect that kind of treatment you know at the end of the day we've just talked about the emotional toll that this type of treatment takes from you especially if you don't have success therefore you are completely within your right and especially if you're listening out of outside the UK as well you are completely within your right to get that feeling of being supported from the outset and if you don't you don't have to you don't have to go there you have that ability to make a different decision don't you absolutely natalie it's very important uh, to firstly make sure that we offer good affordable fertility care and uh, we all know that in the uk the postcode lottery is something that uh, either 
has helped patients to conceive in terms of NHS treatment and there's a lot of areas that are now withdrawing funding um, and a lot of CCGs that are withdrawing funding for fertility treatment. Now one of the main objectives that we have here at IVF London is to make sure that we do offer good fertility care and it's not just in the UK I feel very passionate about I come from Africa myself from Kenya and for many years whilst I have grown up as a child I have seen that people who could afford to have treatment would go abroad to have treatment simply because there was no good care available locally and this is generally in healthcare not just fertility and I believe it is almost a human right to have good healthcare at your doorstep and what we're trying to do here is we're one of the very few clinics in this part of uh, Hertfordshire and we really want to offer good affordable care to the patient at a very reasonable price. So our price tags are very thought through. We want to make sure that there is no um, add-ons which is really um, affecting the whole or bumping up the whole cost factor for the patient. We're very transparent on what a cycle is going to cost the patient right from the beginning and most importantly there is no charges for all the support that we've talked about such as fertility coaching. Fertility coaching is a very integral part of what we do here at IVF London and it starts off with that whereby we assign a coach to a couple who will be talking and supporting them through the journey and there is no fee to this and it's all paid for by us. And when we were talking about it earlier, you were explaining that there's that kind of holistic approach to it. There's nutritional support, kind of well-being aspects like yoga. I mean, it just sounds exactly all the different bits and bobs that you'd like and maybe don't think about and wouldn't maybe indulge yourself in because you're so focused on this goal of ultimately becoming a parent. And I'm a big fan of those additional things helping you be at ease if possible through this process. And I think it's great to hear that that's been thought out in what you're putting together. Absolutely. So it's very important to understand that if you're going to try and address stress in a couple, you've got to try and find ways of how you can minimize stress. Mm -hmm. And we all know that whether it's work stress that we have, the only way we can unwind or relax is try and do things that we really enjoy. It's very difficult if someone asks you to say that, is this going to improve my, is this therapy going to improve my chances of getting pregnant? then I think we have to very responsibly say that, well, there's little evidence. So if someone asks me that is reflexology going to help me get pregnant or is acupuncture going to increase my chance of getting pregnant, we, we have to be responsible in saying that, well, we need to look at the evidence for it. But the most important thing I always tell patients that, do you think that reflexology or massage or acupuncture is going to help you relax and de-stress? And if they say yes, that this is something that's quite... Um, I, I quite enjoy mm. uh, or yoga for example you touched on yoga one thing that we're trying to do at IVF London is try and organize um, uh, you know yoga sessions for our patients on a weekend live cookery or nutrition um, demonstrations by leading experts who've worked in the field of nutrition and fertility for a long time so we're trying to do things that we believe are going to help patients unwind and de-stress and accept us better as their family outside of their family because they're spending a lot of time in their journey of IVF with us. So if they don't feel comfortable or if they feel stressful during their visits, this is not a good start to begin with. So the whole aim of providing all this additional support, whether that comes in the form of massage, acupuncture, reflexology, yoga, nutrition, is also that the patient feels that there is 
tools for them out mm. there to embrace so that they can feel more comfortable in our environment. And it's part of the care which we were talking about, that, that key word. And you've come from London, we're, we're just outside London, if, it's, if you're listening outside of the UK. What I hope this makes you think is that, okay, maybe I could find something like this near me, these kind of alternative approaches to providing this, this type of treatment. And considering we're talking in December, the end of the 40th anniversary of IVF, a lot more conversation I think has happened around this topic I've seen a real shift over the last few years of the ways the kind of mainstream press have been talking about IVF and infertility and maybe giving a more realistic voice rather than just the successes and celebrity successes they have been talking more about the failures they've been talking more about the postcode lottery there's still a lot more obviously to be done where do you see as an embryologist who's now taken on a, a clinic for a new year, where do you see the future of, of where we're at going? Do you think there's going to be some interesting shifts? Obviously, we've got the funding cuts in, in the UK. There's a lot still happening in our general understanding in society of still of this type of treatment. So, Natalie, in terms of where we should responsibly go with this, especially when the NHS is not paying as uh, predominantly as it did uh, for fertility treatment. I feel that educating our patients is very important or even uh, making all the awareness out there or giving them, giving patients the tools to understand the aspects of treatment. So you very rightly said that all that patients really know is what the success rates are, but do they know the intricacies of what the journey is about? Do they know about you know, that they could be a miscarriage, potentially, even if they're pregnant. Uh, how to deal with such scenarios? Where does that take them in terms of, if they have faced a miscarriage, what should they do next in terms of accessing further treatment, etc.? So I think it's very important for us as specialists offering this treatment, where we know that it's going to be self-paying, a lot of it is going to be self-paying, to make sure that patients are very well informed and they understand the concepts and fundamentals very well about the whole journey and its outcomes. And I think once the patient feels fully informed and in control, and I use that word in control because that's very important from a patient's perspective who's, you know, either paying or not paying, but they need to be in control with the understanding and the knowledge. So I think fertility education is very important, not just for patients who are trying to get pregnant, but for people in general. What is fertility education? How can we try and empower men, women with everything that they need to know about fertility, whether that is in their corporate workplace, whether that's about funding provided by their corporate workplace, or whether it's just the knowledge in general, that when should a woman consider egg freezing, for example. You know, we, we hear of a lot of women saying, oh, I never even knew about egg freezing, and you know, now it's a bit too late. So as we really have a responsibility to make sure that we create more awareness about fertility problems, fertility solutions, whether that's in the form of IVF or pre-implantation genetics, but whatever we have in our hands needs to be talked about in a very literal way, positive way, and of course a very educational way as well, so that people understand the pros and cons of everything that could potentially either be offered to them or sold to them in the form of treatment. And for people listening as we're ending a year and starting a new year and 
maybe they found out that there is an issue, a piece of advice that you'd give for people entering into this challenging time when you're amongst family and there's questions asked and maybe you're trying to get some headspace to decide what you're going to do in the new year, what would your, what would your thoughts be? So it's a very good question. Of course, I come from a cultural setting whereby it can always be considered as a stigma not to have a child or being... There's almost that awareness out there that some a couple's trying and they haven't been able to conceive and, you know, people generally start questioning. Family starts questioning about it. So my advice for the new year is that, firstly, if you feel that you are suffering some form of subfertility I don't like calling it infertility some form of subfertility always realize and be reassured that there is help there whether that's in the form of emotional help just help in terms of advice on what should be the next steps I feel do not leave it in your mind as as something that's continuously affecting everything that you're doing whether that's at work because of course we, we know that when a couple's trying the stress of not being able to, uh, to conceive plays on their mind all the time. So my only suggestion would be try and seek immediate help. Try and get through the channels either through your GP of getting some tests done, whether that's on the male side or female side. Get referred. It doesn't cost much to get an evaluation done of your current fertility status. For females, we have a fertility wellness check where we check their you know, some hormones through the blood test and maybe a scan as well, which gives a very real-time opinion on where the fertility potential of that uh, uh, lady is at. And for male, it's a a simple semen analysis. So I really think that that's where it should start at. If a couple is worried about their fertility, get the help, get the basic investigations done and get the ball rolling. So I really hope that has given you something to think about when you are looking at clinics and having conversations with them. And the show notes for this episode are thefertilitypodcast.com forward slash IVF London. So go and have a look. I have put references to other episodes that I talked about at the start of the episode, all my social media and all the details for my guests. I'm going to be with you through till Christmas, so do subscribe. If you haven't yet, you can do so at thefertilitypodcast.com or via your favourite podcast app. Thank you so much for your support, and until the next time, 